0: We were out of coffee, so I had to brew some tea real quick. Oh, okay. And also, I got some chips. <laughs> <laughs> I got... Uh, I, my uh, my husband brought back bitchin' sauce. I saw your tweet Costco. with the
1: bitchin' sauce. <laughs> it's really
0: fucking good.
1: <laughs> Is it bitchin'?
0: It's bitchin'. It's, it's really good. So I have a whole tub of it, and I have some chips. So, happy new year. Happy new year. I gotta get my crunch on. Mmm. <laughs> Welcome to the Sonic Nightmare. Mm. I am your chip keeper, Ray the Crunchmaster. Oh, ah! <laughs> I, I went to grab a chip and stuck my fingers in the dip instead. <laughs> having a having a real one over All here. All right, everyone. Twenty nineteen still has its claws deep within me. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. It's fine. Got to shake it off. Shake it off. Yeah, I. Start I remembered to start my laundry today, which Good job. I consider a win. Alright. I'm wearing a bra right now.
1: I'm not. It's another win. <sighs>
0: what? I mean, okay, I'm not gonna judge you. No judging.
1: I'm just in a onesie.
0: Oh, you're one of your like like footy pajama things.
1: Yes. Yeah, my mom my mom bought everyone in the family a red flannel onesie. Yes. With feet and a hood and a butt zipper. Oh my god. Yes.
0: So you can just unzip to go poo-poo.
1: Yeah, I can. Except I don't because that's <laughs> very
0: <laughs> weird.
1: So it's fashion, not function. <laughs> I mean, I it, it's perfectly functional. I just don't like it. No, no. My niece only unzipped my butt flap.
0: You? Oh, she was aggressively targeting the butt flaps. Um.
1: Sh- okay, so everybody else had been wearing their clothes underneath it because we did like a family photo, um, mm. and I put it on over my jeans and it was extraordinarily uncomfortable so I took my pants off um and then my six-year-old niece uh unzipped my butt flap <laughs> oh apparently she went after my sister or my mom's too Serial All right. All right. butt flap unzipping This is bonus experience!
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games.
1: We're queer women speaking with authority about games. Yes, we crunch. Die mad about it. You begin. Fine. I'm Or are we gonna
0: mix it up for the new year?
1: We could mix it up for the new year.
0: I'm Ray. Hi. Industry professional. What? Serial chip cruncher.
1: (laughs) I'm Monica. Industry
0: unprofessional? That's you can it. also we can both be industry professionals. It's twenty twenty, baby. All
1: right. I am also an industry professional. Spilled on, coffee on this onesie I'm wearing. How are you?
0: I got a big tub of bitchin' sauce over big the tub. holiday season. I'm uh, very excited about it. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of crunching. Mm. I need to have the mute button like at the ready. You
1: do. What All right. what kind of chips are you crunching with?
0: Oh, these are just your regular
1: run-of-the-mill Costco corn chips. Oh, okay. Corn chips. I wasn't... Hey, it mm-hmm, could be potato, mm-hmm. ch- potato chips. Potato.
0: Well, I'm eating something that's basically... The bitchin' sauce tastes exactly like chili con queso, So queso. Oh, like, yes. Gotta be good. corn chips. Definitely gotta be corn chips. Gotta be corn chips.
1: Hey, welcome to the last entry in our genre series. And like every other entry in our genre series, it's going to be more focused on the running and writing games part. The disclaimer is that we probably won't be delving too much into mechanical design discussion, but as always, there is some. Um, We might, you never know, but you really do know that I'm here. I'm going to talk about it.
0: (laughs) I don't know why we said... We wouldn't delve into the mechanical design when every one of these has a little thing. It's like, okay, let's talk about how to do this mechanically.
1: (laughs) I mean, when I wrote the first intro to this, I was like, I don't know how much design discussion we're going to do. And then I forgot that I'm one of the two hosts of this show. So (laughs) (laughs) that you're a designer. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. And that like mechanical design discussion is arguably what I'm best at. So exactly. uh, Today, we're going to walk the fine line between what's terrifying and what's hilarious as we talk about horror and comedy. Do you like scary movies? Uh, I don't. I'm a wuss with anxiety, but I do <laughs> like horror elements in my things, and we'll talk more about that later.
0: I also, I also used to be really bad with scary movies, also because of my anxiety, like uh, literally losing sleep for nights. Yeah, yeah. Same. Over series, overseeing like a particularly scary movie trailer. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I didn't realize that I had anxiety it until about ten years ago. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So be like that sometimes.
0: Now that I'm taking. Effectsor, doo, 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 doo. which kind of sounds like a uh, like a golden age sci-fi hero.
1: Effectsor, Effectsor,
0: the mighty. I, now I too can experience crippling side effects when I miss my dose by about thirty-five seconds. And also now I can watch horror movies without losing sleep. Um, <laughs> I I also really love horror and dissecting why horror can be so effective. The gist of which. It usually comes down to, like, n- n- lizard brain. It's, it's just, you know, deep-seated anxieties and insecurities and, you know, fears about sex and race and, you know, complicated yeah. shit that we don't like to talk about. But we put in our horror because it's really fun to be uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And uh, we're also, we're probably going to mostly talk about horror in this. Um, Which but-
0: may surprise you because, like, people say that I'm funny. They tell <laughs> these words to me. And I go, okay, because I, you know, yeah, I make people laugh and I take pride in that. But if you ask me how to be funny, I have no fucking clue. When, like, when my agent is, oh, we could write, we could write a comedy. Let's, you could do like a romantic comedy with with these elements. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be, I do not trust myself to be funny on purpose. (laughs) So it'll be a lot more on the horror end. And I'll try to think of what to say about the funny end.
1: Yeah, yeah. This episode will probably be pretty humorous because PXP episodes are humorous, and I, I don't know that we're doing that on purpose. Sometimes we are, but no, sometimes,
0: always. sometimes, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes we stumble on a really rich vein of shit wizard jokes <laughs> <laughs> that that linger.
1: Yeah, like so, the smell of a shit wizard. Mm, the smell of feet was undeniable. 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 So why talk about horror and comedy in the same episode?
0: uh because of the same duh okay well all right settled podcast over. next question (laughs) (laughs) okay horror and comedy are both about building tension toward an inevitable release either one that you expect or one that you don't expect i guess you could say that all storytelling is really like that but horror and comedy especially rely on this and, uh, and, and romance does too, but romance is a way trickier thing to implement into a social game, and we're not going to touch that. <laughs> not, in <laughs> yeah, not in this episode. Yeah, not in this episode. Are we going to do an ERP episode? <laughs> oh, you were drinking. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: um, anyway. I'll put a poll
1: up on the pa- Patreon if they want to hear us talk about erotic role-playing. <sighs> erotic. That'll be a that'll be a bonus patrons only content episode. Bonus experience. Mm-hmm. Bonus experience. Anyway, Welcome
0: to the bonus experience. Yes, cast. the word sex is in it. This the word sex is in our podcast name. Uh uh also, back on topic. <laughs> <laughs> also, not about ERP, horror and comedy both also rely on really careful curation of your mood and your themes. Like, uh, there's all these creative cuts of comedies on YouTube that have been edited to look like thrillers. Uh, There's one for Elf that you can find that's really fucking hilarious. We have a whole episode about this, I think, right, Monica? Talking
1: about mood? Uh, Tone, scope, and power scale.
0: Tone, scope, and power scale. If you are uh, interested in how to curate the mood and the tone of your game, you should look at our tone, scope, and power scale episode we're not going to be talking about how to maintain that. We're going to give you tips on how to like set the tone though. Yeah.
1: Uh, just the, the tone part. Uh, well,
0: um, uh, on uh, t- is a lot of what you're talking we, about there. Uh, I'm going to have a chip, have a chip, All <laughs> right. have a chip. So of course we don't need to tell our audience what horror and comedy are. Horror is listening to me crunch on my chips. Uh, So let's instead talk about what we mean by tension and release. Okay. Not in the ERP sense.
1: (laughs) I wasn't drinking that time. Uh, So (laughs) tension amps up the friction between the audience and an expectation. It's that moment in a movie where there's the orchestral sting or the rising minor key music that indicates a slasher is going to jump out of nowhere and kill the unsuspecting protagonist that the camera has been following.
0: Or it's the banana peel left in the middle of the sidewalk that our hapless heroine is running. Yeah. It can, it can kind of, it can kind of be like Chekhov's gun. Like the, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the whole idea of if you have a gun on the mantle in the first act, it has to be fired in the third act kind of a thing, but it doesn't have to be like that. It can also just be a feeling and a tone supported by soundtrack, by performance, by setting or lighting. And it can also just be coming into it knowing, okay, this is a horror, because genre itself will set the expectation.
1: Yeah. And then release is when the thing that we're expecting to happen happens, or when something else happens instead. Right. Uh, But don't feel like you have
0: to be constantly subverting expectations. Sometimes your biggest scare or your best laugh comes from the thing that you know is going to happen finally happens after all of that tension is built up. But, you know, sometimes it is fun to be like, oh, you thought it was a slasher, but it was grandma's ugly cat. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I also really love a subversion of expectations. Like, it's really funny to me to have, like, like a camera angle or a-, a framed shot where, like, you have the hapless guy who's clearly gonna get, like, murdered by the monster who then, like, gets hit by the door that he just went through. Um, He ducks under the thing by accident because he dropped a penny on the floor and like all right, the, like uh, a, a hapless protagonist subverting the release the horror release you're expecting by physical comedy is just so fucking funny to me
0: <laughs> and also the dramatic irony can help build the tension too because yeah. you know that guy's about to die you can see the killer but that right. character doesn't know and yep. dramatic irony can be kind of difficult to pull off in a game if you haven't split your party mm-hmm because then you actually have an audience to go with your players. But dramatic irony can help with that, too. Okay, so what are some good examples in media of
1: this tension and release idea? Okay, so this actually seems like a great time for me to talk about stuff that I like that has horror elements. Like yeah. uh, the manga-soon-to-be Netflix anime series, Hidoro, um, which is a sane-in-action series just just fucking jam-packed with body horror and tension. It's gross in places. Ugh. Yeah. But, like, it's not so gross that it's a deal-breaker to me. Mm. I also really like the cult classic Judge Dead remake, which is absolutely an action horror movie. Don't at me. And a book released in this past year that I am certain was created in a lab specifically for me, Seven Blades in Black. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot recommend this book enough. Um, it's it a, a hi- Sam Sykes book, right? Yes, it's a Sam Sykes book. It is a high-flying fantasy novel about a betrayed ex-mage seeking revenge. It is like Kill Bill meets Final Fantasy. But well, it has like a nice glaze sprinkling of cosmic horror on top. Listen, you didn't tell me that part, That <laughs> it was Kill Bill Final Fantasy. Oh, I mean, I was trying to sell you on like the bisexual disaster protagonist. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And her incredible <laughs> like alchemist mage girlfriend. I mean, that's good. I mean, it's really good, but it is basically I'm, I'm Kill terrible, Bill Final Fantasy. I'm
0: a terrible gay. Like you tell me like there's gay characters and it's like, that's awesome. My God, these bitches gay. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Good for them. them. But then you tell me,
0: then you tell me the pitch and I'm like, Ooh, I'm listening.
1: Yeah. uh, There's a fight scene within the first two chapters. Yeah. Like in the first 20 pages of the book, there is, she kills somebody. Not really a spoiler. Uh, but yeah, it's totally about this wronged person who has a list of names and like her revenge quest to kill kill them all. So that is the Kill Bill part, and then the setting is extremely like dark fantasy, Final Fantasy. Uh, she even has a chocobo, and Sam Sykes is a massive Final Fantasy nerd, so that is intentional. <laughs> so
0: this started as like a Final Fantasy fanfic, probably. I guarantee, and that's I'm not that's not said with any sort of like derision. That's that's said with like awe. Uh, and respect <laughs> that he was like, I have a Final Fantasy fanfic. I want to turn it into a novel and sell it.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> good um, for you. so there's a novella called The Gallows Black, um, which is a pre- prequel to Seven Blades. But if you read it after you read Seven Blades, which I did, it's very clearly like his first go at the setting.
0: Oh really? Because
1: a whole bunch of stuff changes. Like hmm. like he clearly refined the ideas between the two of them and I'm like, "Oh man, writing your writing your novella, turning it into a full-scale novel and then selling the novella as a prequel <laughs> is slick." Uh, it's a fucking power move. It's a fucking power move yeah. and I still bought it cuz I really wanted to read more.
0: That's a hell of a supportive agent going, "No, fucking give me the novella too. Give it to me." Yeah. Uh, okay, we did your thing, we should do my thing. Yeah, we should do your thing. Just shut up. It's my turn. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> Wow. Um, aggressive. Uh, probably surprising no one, uh Stephen King. Um, <laughs> Stephen King oh, is yeah. really excellent at building tension in horror, and he was the first name that came to mind because I'm currently reading the stand for the first time, mm-hmm. and nobody told me that it's fucking two thousand pages long. Um, <laughs> and the first whole half of it is about a flu is about the flu epidemic, and a flu epidemic is one of my phobias. So I'm having these terrible nightmares about the flu now. <laughs> um, anyway, it's very scary, but not in the way you would expect. Uh, where was I? Building tension and horror. I already know, like everybody knows the concept going into the stand. It's like on the back of the book, we know huma- like basically all of humanity will be wiped out by this horrific flu. But the first half of the book is about how that happens. It's going to be the slow creep and the dread. It's going to be watching everyone become infected. It's going to be watching... The whole country go to shit just because we like assume we know what the release is going to be doesn't mean that the tension is anyway lessened because you have to now watch it happen and related to two sides of the same coin when stephen king needs to flex his dark humor muscle his dark humor is fucking top notch because macabre shit can be really fucking funny You can also (laughs) Google Cheddar Goblin (laughs) for proof of that. The Cheddar Goblin is both hilarious and extremely upsetting, um, especially in context of the movie that it was in. Do you? Do I have to? You sounded confused. Have you seen the Cheddar Goblin? I haven't. Okay, Cheddar Goblin is a commercial for mac and cheese within a movie about psycho chainsaw murderers. (laughs) <laughs> and it comes after like a really, really traumatic, awful, like death scene of the protagonist's wife. Okay. And he is like a broken man, and then he watches TV. He's like the TV is on, and there's a this horrible commercial for mac and cheese. <laughs> and it like <laughs> breaks him. <laughs> so Google Cheddar, Cheddar Goblin, okay. and you'll you'll have a really good <laughs> idea of says, how. Horror- oh God, I just googled it. <laughs> horror and comedy are very similar. Also, tension. I'm currently watching Breaking Bad. Because my husband was like, "You have to. You will love this," and I have loved it. Breaking Bad is tense as fuck. They're really good at ratcheting up the tension. There was a whole okay. It's I guess spoilers for Breaking Bad. It's been
1: out for like ten years. Yeah, i I think I'm the last person on earth the tensions on that one. Yeah. Have you seen it? Not all of it. No. Oh, okay. I have seen the f- first couple episodes. Oh Some no! Did you stop at the dude season? soup? No, I just. Oh, okay. Someone else <laughs> had it. Like, I was watching it on someone else's account or whatever at their house, mm. uh, and so I watched however much was on while I was present, and then did not continue to watch it.
0: It's really good. <laughs> it's, um, the first couple episodes were actually, the first time I tried to watch it, the first couple episodes were actually too tense for okay. me. Um, This was pre-getting anxiety treatment, basically, because, you know, it's it's the classic... classic like heist slash thriller formula where like you think it's going to be simple but everything goes wrong like coincidentally and then the second episode ends with them trying to melt a body and the dumb like high school dropout druggie doesn't get the right materials that he was instructed to get So the hydrofluoric acid eats through the bathtub and then through the floor. And then there's a dude soup all over, all over the house. And that was the episode that I tapped out the first time. Gotcha. (laughs) Because I was like, I'm out. (laughs) There's a melted guy all over the house. I'm out. Uh, But it's actually very good. And I think I'm in the fourth season now. But the whole point of this is I was going to point out there's a whole season. I think it's, it's either the second or the third where There was a whole season devoted to giving glimpses of this disaster that is eventually going to happen in the season finale. And they just give you like little glimpses of it in every other episode. First, it's there's debris in a pool. Then there's debris in a yard that's being bagged as evidence. And then there's cracked windows and debris all over a neighborhood. And eventually in the season finale, after all of this, like, what the fuck is happening? What's going on? You've seen body bags. You're like, do our guys die at the end of this? In the season finale, you realize that this is all from some freak airspace accident where two passenger planes have collided over the protagonist's house. And the whole season has been devoted to showing how it is 100% his fault that those two passenger planes collided and killed everyone right over his house. Breaking Bad is very good. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking Bad is very good at at ratcheting tension. They They spent a whole season on that. In our audience, MIPS recommends Junji Ito. Oh, yes. Who's, you know the master of sequential horror. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're absolutely right. He knows how to turn trivial stuff into a fucking horrifying. Like I had a, I had a crack in the drywall in my bathroom. And for like a couple of weeks, like anytime I was in my bathroom, I'm like, I am this crack in my wall. (laughs) Like that's what Junji Ito fucking does to you. (laughs) All right. So comedy. Yes. Um, Comedy can be a lot trickier than this because, I mean, the first thing I jumped to was like, oh, stand-up comedians telling jokes. But comedy isn't, isn't like that in practice. Your game isn't going to be one person standing up front telling jokes.
1: No. It's, it's closer to improv.
0: Right. My, my favorite comedy uh, is Bridesmaids. Um, I could probably perform the whole thing myself at this point because I've seen it so many times. And that... That comedy mostly comes from like the delivery of the dialogue cuz most of the lines are fucking ridiculous and still said with 100% sincerity. And because the theme of the story is messy interpersonal drama surrounding a best friend's wedding, there's a lot of room there for ridiculousness and sincerity without it really feeling out of place.
1: Yeah, that's a good example. I am back at what is a comedy? I've never heard of this before.
0: How <laughs> do laugh? What <laughs> right. funny?
1: Uh there's lots of funny movies that I like a lot. Bridesmaids is certainly up there. The producers. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh really? It's no, I haven't seen the producers. <laughs> uh you know, Mel Brooks stuff is, is funny, but you know, there's the there's the whole thing with comedy being the thing that ages poorly. You know? I guess so. I mean, it often that is often the case because culture also moves along. Um and so some, some Mel Brooks jokes did not age well.
0: Yeah, and also I guess also audience becomes a little more savvy, yeah. like and that that works for horror too. You watch some old '50s and '60s horror things that were like shocking at the time, and you're like, eh. yeah. although you know, with the masters, with people, you know, like Hitchcock. Hitchcock is still really fucking scary. Oh yeah, it's just not the kind of scary that we're used to now with the special effects and the jump scares. And-
1: I'll I'll also add that um, both Doro and Seven Blades, despite being primarily action media with horror elements, are also at times deeply funny. The dialogue in both is snappy and enjoyable, and they've both made me, like, belly laugh out loud in a lot of places. So, (laughs) see? Same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Same thing. Um, So let's let's make Ray talk some more and move on to talking about good practices for weaving this into your storytelling in general.
0: Yeah, okay. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing is my favorite. (laughs) For either comedy or for horror, foreshadowing is great, especially for building up the tension. Because if you tell someone right away... This character right here is 100% going to die. And then start the story a week before they unexpectedly die. You've mm-hmm. already set your audience up for it. They're already going to jump at like, everything that could potentially kill your character. I also really like um, juxtaposition of the mundane with the extraordinary. Uh, I think that's maybe my favorite comedic device. There's an old Adventure Time episode that takes place on Mars where a supreme divine entity, is. He, they use... Like one of those math class overhead projectors with the like <laughs> markers, and I always fucking think of that when I think of juxtaposition of the mundane with the extraordinary. Like that's that's my go-to. But yeah, tension can basically come from something as simple as telegraphing what might happen and then putting off letting that happen for as long as you could get away with, and then that's that's where tension lies in that expectation.
1: Oh, you know, it's a really fantastic example of the juxtaposition of the mundane with the extraordinary. What? The shawarma scene from the end of Avengers.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're in their fucking superhero outfits yep. in this busted ass Mediterranean <laughs> diner eating shawarma. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a couple of really good examples for like a lot of the comedy in, in the uh, different Avengers movies, even like, you know, the, the single, single character titles. A lot of that comes from putting something mundane right next to a fucking superhero okay having having thor deliver some line about (laughs) fuck it's been a really long time since i saw thor yeah same i am the son of odin as they're like pinning him down to try to sedate him because he's nuts (laughs)
1: like that's
0: you know that could also be in a horror (laughs) but because of the tone of that scene it's very funny
1: do you want to crunch while i do the mid-episode break
0: I would love that.
1: Okay. You're giving me a crunch break? I'm giving you a crunch break. You did all this talking. You've earned a crunch break. I'm
0: going to run to the bathroom with my dip and right. crunch
1: inside. stuff. you're going to take dip into the bathroom?
0: <laughs> Just somewhere private. Okay. <laughs> Don't come in here. I'm crunching.
1: <laughs> BXP is brought to you by the Misdirected Mark Network. Bing. She's not here to bing, so I'm going to have to do it. Ah, uh, Hey, toss us a dollar on Patreon. Um, you'll get to hear live recordings like this one and extended cuts of every episode. Uh, now with 100% more bullshit. At the $10 level, we're now letting you weigh in on our decisions through polls, of which there was one that just went out. So hey, why not give us a buck? Give us a little scratch. Help us keep making this thing. We love you. Thank you very much. If you're already giving us money. Anyway, BXP is also now sponsored by Nerdy Keppy. Get all the coolest Pride swag you can imagine at nerdycappy.com and use promo code BXPCAST at checkout for 10% off. By the way, the code never expires, so please shop all you like. I have two pairs of shoes from there. Uh, one is a pair of BuyPride Galaxy print sneakers. They are the coolest fucking things I own. Second only to the floral print Pride Doc and Stompy boots, which are the coolest thing I own. They're comfortable. They're great. I highly recommend them. N-E-R-D-Y-K-E-P-P-I-E dot com. Promo code BXPCAST, 10% off. Support a small queer business. Next order of business is that BXP is now streaming every other Sunday, starting at 8.30 Eastern. Join us... Oh, that's 8.30 PM, by the way. Join us for Letters Edged in Black, a Blades in the Dark game about underhanded scoundrels delivering secret mail. It's way more involved than that. There's a lot more demons than you thought would be involved in a game about delivering shady packages that check us out at twitch.tv slash misdirected mark oh yeah and like leave us a review five stars if you please uh doing that actually really helps people find the show tell your friends do that sort of thing that helps bxp get more of an audience and that helps us become more popular and then that means we have more money and then we can keep making stuff it's awesome bxp and the misdirected mark are here to tell you about capers a superpowered game of gangsters in the roaring 20s in Capers, you play criminals or comps during the Prohibition era with superpowers. Will you build a criminal empire or work to bring bootleggers down? Capers is an all-in-one core book with player and GM info, lots of PDF support material, like adventures, a GM screen, rules all on one sheet. You can expect from the Kickstarter a deluxe hardcover, which is a 164 page, 85 by 11 hardcover, with Smithstone binding, sturdy, lays flat on the table, excellent stuff. Glossy, full-color interior with richer printing press colors, end pages and inside covers printed with useful tables, game info, and lore. You can also expect two, uh, count them, two ribbon bookmarks, and more upgrades with the stretch goals. The Kickstarter begins on 1.7, and backer tiers for getting the deluxe hardcover with all the support PDFs, just the hardcover or just the PDF. There will also be a Capers enamel pin available as an add-on, and I love that kind of shit. So, check out Capers on Kickstarter and support it, BXP told you to. Uh, last but not least, if you like BXP, you will also like this misdirected mark show, Janghu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Janghu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching Wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Ray, are you back?
0: I'm back.
1: Yeah, oh, perfect.
0: I have crunched all that can be crunched. <laughs> I shan't crunch no more. <laughs>
1: So let's so. move on to talking about how to work tension and release into the fine art of running a game.
0: Hmm. Which I'm
1: going to make you answer again.
0: <laughs> tension is a dial you're going to have to adjust depending on your table and your game, and sometimes even just from day to day, because it's going to be so dependent on your game's tone and your players' moods. With horror games, especially, I I think the most important thing you should keep in mind is to limit your game mastering adjudication and your descriptions to what the characters themselves could feasibly sense. I try to never draw any conclusion for them. I leave that solely to if they want to throw dice and actually pull like game mechanics into it. Tension comes from the unknown. I'm not going to leave them wholly in the dark because that's absolutely no fun. That's the opposite of fun. But I am definitely going to avoid filling them in on everything. Because the more I can keep them from knowing, the more space there is for tension. And also body horror. (laughs) It's kind of cheating. Body horror is such a rich vein. Because we all have some sense of what we all have an uncanny valley, right? We all have this, this theoretical, like philosophical space, where something can be just wrong enough with a human body that it really freaks us out. You have to be careful not to dip into that ooey gooey jar too much, because that can quickly pass into no fun for people. You should ask ahead of time. Um, You you should honestly, you should listen to our episode on safety. (laughs) You should you should scare safely. When you start playing horror, you have the potential to cross lines that some people may not even have known that they had until that existed in the game. <laughs> so it's important to to keep that in mind when you're trying to make people feel tense and afraid that <laughs> like you're trying to do this fun. I feel so unqualified still to talk about comedy. <laughs> I still uh, don't know, how to know build I... comedy for it. I still don't know how to build tension for a comedy game. I feel like a lot of that comes from players. Yeah. Uh, I it's because it's because like you said it's like an improv it, it really depends on being able to riff off of what your characters and your players have come up with and building on those expectations or subverting them in a way that they wouldn't have expected because, again, comedy and horror are both about the difference between how it should happen and how it actually happened. And the main difference is just tone.
1: Right? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of times things have gotten really funny in games because they have. Like, I've definitely played in games where we were just howling with laughter. Oh, yeah, definitely. But a lot of that, I think to do that when you're running a game, like, I'm going to talk about parody games and stuff like that when we get to the mechanics, but I think running a game, if you're the GM, your job is to set up and then let your players release.
0: So I think the only time I can say, I was in control of a scene and I was deliberately funny in recent memory was in the, was in the RP server. Okay. So it was free form. So take that with whatever grain of salt you need. If you're looking for something mechanically, don't come to me, come to Monica. Um, there was, it was a callback, basically. I had set this character up for an unexpected callback because they were trying to get my character to divulge the secret. They thought that they really had him, like they really thought they were putting the screws to him. But I had set it up in such a way that I was able to call back to this other thing that had happened months ago and bring that back and basically be like, oh, this is all because... You have the hots for my character, and it doesn't have anything to do with you trying to get his secret out of him. And and it really it really fucking threw their player for a loop. And I was extremely proud of myself. <laughs> I still talk about how I'm never going to be that funny again. <laughs> and I guess it's not as funny when I can't like it's like you, you had to be there. Yeah, that Obviously, definitely you context. Ex- you can't explain a joke and then have the joke be funny. What it, What is it? You can't. If you explain it, it's not funny. It's like dissecting a frog. Yeah, <laughs> It's not going to survive the process. No. But yeah, it's it's very difficult to try to be deliberately funny, to like premeditate it. I feel like a lot of comedy is so spontaneous that it can be hard to come up with tips for it, other than like look for those opportunities and jump at them, honestly.
1: Yeah. Um. That's why writing stand-up is so hard. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I have a friend who's actually getting into writing stand-up and it's hard (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's just you up there trying to be funny by yourself yeah and that like the monologues and beats and jokes that stand-up comedians write are usually not made up off the top of their head they're written ahead of time and memorized like that's an it's an impressive art form i really like stand-up comedy a lot but (laughs) that's not what this show is about (laughs) so monica yes
0: it's your turn it's my turn how do we do this mechanically
1: Oh boy. <laughs> so this is actually pretty hard. Uh, there's definitely a lot of ways to build tension and to like introduce personal levels of horror because it's pretty easy to give a player the tools they need to scare themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like There's a lot of good Chronicles of Darkness design that's built around scaring yourself. Um, and part of the problem I have, I think, problem air quotes, with a lot of Chronicles of Darkness content is that the tools they give you to scare yourself are sometimes also just cool superpowers. Uh, (laughs) So like one shift in tone away and it stops being a scary game and is just a cool action game with horror elements, which I'm okay with, but that's not really the intention.
0: Right. And how would you say how... I have my own theory on that, like from a writing standpoint, the difference between like horror and action adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you find that line? How do you find that line?
1: Mm, I, don't, I don't know. Like that how, do you,
0: how do you keep it from this is scary into
1: this is now just an action adventure game? So I don't know that I'm the right person to ask, um, because I would always prefer to skew towards action horror as opposed to just pure horror.
0: Because I, I know, at least from a storytelling standpoint, I find that the biggest difference is in horror, the protagonist doesn't have any control. Yeah, they have much less. They have a lot less agency.
1: So let's talk about probably the best game out there that strips away agency and builds tension like a motherfucking pro. Yeah, dread. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my arch rival, dread. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so dread cheats in big old air quotes because pulling blocks from a Jenga tower is by nature tense as fuck. Yeah, like you cannot I don't, I don't know that you could possibly get more tense than the act of trying to keep a tower from falling down yeah as far as the game goes as yeah. far as the game goes yeah i've also not uh, just just adhd for a second i've also not played any genuine comedy games i do hear Tune is pretty good but but like just pure comedy isn't really our group's speed yeah parody games tend to lose their charm fast and they're best for like drunk one shots <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh we can we can we can put a pin in that and talk about that a little bit later but um let's go back to dread for a second
0: yes dread dread so don't try to play don't try to play or run a game at a convention when there's two games of dread going on in the same room
1: (laughs) raise nemesis dread (laughs) uh so it builds that horror tension by literally taking things away which leads to a literal physical precarious situation And when the tower falls, something really bad happens. I've never actually played Dread, but this is fucking genius. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like characters can die or the threat acts or whatever. I I understand how it is played. I just haven't played it myself. But let's talk about how we could possibly do this with a dice pool. Did you know I was going to recommend doing things with a dice pool? Shame on you if you didn't. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So consider like, let's make up a system on the fly. Let's consider a tension system where all the characters have a certain pool. Maybe it's like a Chronicles of Darkness, where you have like an attribute possibility, or maybe it's just a fixed number or like a rating like it is in Blades. Blades actually does a pretty good job of building tension with the um, effect scale.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. and with the, the spending of stress.
1: Yeah. So in this system that we're making up, imagine what happens if every time the storyteller wants to, or the GM or what the fuck ever, the person running the game, wants to progress the threat... They take a die away from all the players.
0: Mm, okay. And
1: everyone's pool gets gradually smaller until somebody fails. Okay. And then, and then something really bad happens. Yeah, okay. Or, like, but see, the problem with that is, is then that might actually feel bad. Like, people might not enjoy their pools getting smaller. But then again, that does also involve buying in. Like, if you're selling that as, like, this is a pure horror game, and every time something bad happens... You lose a die. Everybody loses a die until someone fails.
0: What about the, uh, what about the inverse? What about um, every time something bad happens, the GM's pool increases?
1: C- increases until they succeed or whatever. Or something like that, yeah. See, like, well, like, I think it's a little bit easier depending on how you set up your number to control failure than it is to control success because success can also go hog wild depending on what the rest of the system is built around
0: right but then at least it maybe it's maybe it triggers on something else entirely but then you're yeah. not taking away from the players right. so much as you are literally amping up the threat and right. the tension by making the gm more powerful
1: correct my my point is that like with a dice pool you can totally tune this tension builds by something you can see and mm-hmm. like like if if the gm keeps just stacking dice in front of them every time something happens <laughs> yeah then you know then you know like that's you-
0: actually something that i really like to do in uh D games is something that the angry gm came up with mm-hmm. that um basically anytime there's a dungeon crawl or anything else that actually like happens over an extended period of time i have a little pool of d4s or d6s or whatever and every time a character does something i could feasibly take like 15 minutes or, or 10 minutes. It is I add a die to that pool. Mm-hmm. So eventually I have, you know, when I get to 6 I be like, all right, it's been an hour. I roll. And if I get a certain number on one of the dice, something happens. And then I can adjust that for, if it's D4, then it's actually a more dangerous area. If it's D12, this is a really quiet area. But then my players know, cause I'll, I'll say like, okay, so that takes some time. And then they'll see me add a die to the pool. <laughs> so they can see like, oh shit, like time is passing. This is like the clock ticking, basically.
1: Yeah. Have you ever played 13th Age? No. Okay. Well, 13th Age, to prevent combats from going on too long, has a thing called the escalation die, which is a big D6 you put on the table, and every turn past the first, it ticks up by one until you hit six, and that actually becomes an accuracy bonus for all player characters so that the fight gets faster and faster and faster the longer it goes. Oh, that's cool. But you... but that, And that's like to amp up the action of the fight, right? And also to make right. sure that a combat doesn't take three hours.
0: That's awesome. I like that.
1: And to that end, it, it works. And then, like, a whole bunch of classes have powers that key off of what point the escalation die is at. So Mm -hmm. I think, like, the fighter and the rogue start fighting, like, even harder the later the fight goes on. Yeah, okay. Because, like, then they start getting real big finishing moves if the, the escalation die is, like, a five or six. It's a really neat design space. Yeah. But consider using the escalation die as a purely GM tactic to show how much the monster or the threat in the background is powering up.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. You could also
1: tie it into, like, um, the haunt. Is that what it's called? From uh, That's from um, From Betrayal, betrayal but that's also a really great tension mechanic. But I meant um, from Monster of the Week. Oh, right. Yeah, so you could actually do it backwards and start it at six and be like, okay, you have to figure out the monster's weakness. Otherwise, it comes in with this six.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I would mess around with doing too much of this with a single die system, like like the takeaway sort of thing with a single die system, because using flat distribution is pretty swingy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, unless,
1: of course, you want that unpredictability to matter.
0: Which could, could, work, be, really could well, work really depending well depending on the sort of game you're running.
1: Yeah. There's like a lot of design space you could do with this. The thing that, okay, let's talk about the haunt for a second because that's a dice pool mechanic. It's not from a role-playing game, but it is a dice pool mechanic, and it is something that builds... It,
0: it's, it's really good. I didn't even think of Betrayal. Betrayal yeah. is really good at attention.
1: Betrayal is really good at tension, and one of the things that, like... So the Haunt... The Betrayal uses non-standard D6s. I think they're D3s with blank faces? Yes. Yeah, it's like... It has Some faces are blank, some, some faces have one pip, some have two, and some have three. I think? I it might think just be one and two. It, yeah, it's something like that. So anyway, you have to have... You have to hit six. On a pool of these d sixes, where it's blank one and two, I think.
0: And the the pool increases every time someone draws an omen card. Yes. Which it's you know you discover them, and the omens are, are some sort of powerful artifact or something that happens to you. Yeah, there's things you roll get randomly. a number of yeah, you roll a number of dice at the end of your turn equal to how many omens are on the on the table.
1: Right. So, so the, the more first omen you that have draw, drawn,
0: the bigger the first.
1: Pool is. Yeah, and the first omen you draw, it is mathematically impossible for the haunt to go off immediately. Right. But then the second, it gets likely, a little bit more likely. And then the mm-hmm. third, it gets a little bit more likely. And then on the fourth, it's it's like, oh, maybe it's going to happen. Then the fifth, right. and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and, and the
0: it, haunt is where the game changes from your characters are exploring this haunted house and building the map. Yes. The, the haunt changes that into, okay, now one of you is the bad guy. And they have to leave the room and read the specific scenario that you guys have randomly drawn. While the rest of the table reads their side of the scenario to try to prepare for surviving whatever the traitor is going to be doing to them.
1: Right. So that's how Betrayal builds their tension to flip, to basically hit the climax of the game and flip the way it plays.
0: There's actually a D&D version of it. It's uh, like Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal at Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Betrayal Baldur's Gate is actually yeah.
1: the best version of Betrayal there is. Oh, f- like, for real? Yeah. It's, so it's, they polished a whole bunch of rules. They cleaned up the way the map is built. Uh, they adjusted a whole bunch of the haunts so that and some of them aren't quite so one-sided.
0: There's uh, our one of our friends brought over Betrayal Legacy Mm -hmm. and we've been trying to think of like when we're going to have time to play Betrayal Legacy because I'd love to play a legacy board game. But yeah, I've passed up the opportunity to play Betrayal at Baldur's Gate because I thought it looked kind of like tongue in cheek. Oh, no, it's kind of
1: messed with the tone a bit. It's really good. You should come over. I have a copy.
0: Oh, okay, Yeah, I'll be right over.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll get out of this onesie if you're coming over. (laughs) Zip up your butt flap. Please don't open my butt flap. I don't have pants on. Uh, Anyway, so my point is that, like, that way of coming across things in game that make the tension building event more likely is an excellent tension building mechanic that you can lift for your role-playing game. Yes. Maybe, and then you can actually tie that into powers or stuff. Like, so maybe characters have a power that basically says, add one to the haunt pool. Yeah. Uh, It's like the collateral pool from uh aberrant and demigod
0: right yep <laughs> you do something good okay cool but also this bad thing happens
1: the it, the way it works i believe it's the same system in both because i'm pretty sure that danielle took my copy from she's allowed to do this don't worry take my copy from demigod and then t- t- tuned it for aberrant but like there's a whole bunch of triggers that make the collateral pool fill up and when it reaches 10 you roll it and the storyteller picks what happens.
0: <laughs> I'm so excited for Demigod. <laughs> oh, I want to uh, and the
1: Demigod version is actually tuned to fill up real fast. Good. Yeah. I love it. It is intentionally tuned to fill up really fast. So I guess that's also a tension mechanic. Like,
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely it is. Yeah, It's, it's I, like the, the Hunger Dice yeah, in well, Vampire.
1: Yeah, well, no, no, that, that's something else. Um, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> my bad.
1: Yeah, there's two tension mechanics. Uh, but Demigod isn't really a horror game, but I guess it sort of is.
0: There's like some elements to it. Yeah,
1: of course, because I like things with horror elements, as we stated at the beginning of the show. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Monica? Yes. Monica?
0: Yes. Monica, where could they find our show?
1: <laughs> I just saw a betrayal of the ones you butt flap. <laughs> 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 Hang on a second.
0: <laughs> Monica. Yes. <laughs> where can they find your butt flap? They <laughs> can. Fuck you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they can find our show at vexpcast.com, part of the misdirected mark network bing. thank you <clears throat>
0: that was kind of a sad bing sorry <laughs> uh email email us email
1: bonus expcast at gmail.com i'm sorry i haven't looked at it in a little while things have been rough
0: <sighs> yeah things have been rough yeah.
1: twitter mm, they can add us at bonus expcast and demand to know where we've been
0: yes Yes, yeah. you can. You can. <laughs>
1: you can do that thing.
0: Monica. Yeah. Are you on Twitter? I
1: am. I'm at Zenith Sun.
0: I pointed out my window in like the rough direction of Pennsylvania. Okay, cool. Actually, I think that's north. All right. That's <laughs> not where I am. <laughs> that's not where you are at all.
1: <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm kind of inactive right now. I'm just liking gay fan art.
0: Yeah, right. Yep. What What is what is your Twitter handle? At Zena <laughs> Sound. I said it like three times. Did you say it? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm Ray underscore Cole. Um, that's it. Everybody's already packing up their chips and leaving. Um, crunch it
1: if you want to. Crunch it if you want to. Do I have to do this? Ugh, fine. Bonus experience is written and produced by Monica and Ray, and edited by Margaret. Our logo and art is by Nino Studios. Find her on Facebook and Instagram. Our theme song is Reused Noise with the Light by CDK, and is used under the Attribution Non Commercial Creative Commons license. BXP is part of the Misdirected Mart Network. Uh, I'm
0: not reading this. Fuck it. Bye.